0: messages in this series. I'm ready. I'm fired up. Can't wait. Let's go. And then the next series starts in two weeks called Soul Fuel. We're going to be journeying through the whole book of First Thessalonians over the weeks that lead us up to the holidays. And I'm all locked in to do every single week. I thought, "Here here we go. I'm locked in. Here we go. This is exciting. Maybe you could tell I've been getting excited in this series. It's been really powerful and effective. And then a couple of weeks ago, Those who don't know, this is Jonathan. He's our pastor over all things outreach, global and local. And I meet with our staff team and we have our routine and we meet and we sit down and we're talking about life and talking about this series. And we got into a conversation and Jonathan starts to share how, oh, when you get to it, what week will it be? You get to the miracle of the the man born blind. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, it's like week six. And he starts waxing lyrical about this miracle. And how it's his favorite and all of that. And I'm going, right, okay. And at that moment, I thought, I have a choice here. I could go get my notebook and go download it. Or I could shut up and say, "Honey, you should deliver this. Like this is deep in your heart and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I went, huh, okay, this is good. And so without any further ado, number six of the seven miracles in the Gospel of John, the Lord has placed on Jonathan's heart what he wants to teach us today. Bible's ready. Hearts, ears, eyes open. Get ready. I'm ready. I'll be back at the end of the message to draw us in with this. You good? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's encourage Jonathan. Let's go.
1: Y'all are are too nice. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you, Des, for trusting me uh, to be up here. Uh, I'll try not to mess it up too much. Um, Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord, thank you for this good day. Lord, it's a good day. Thank you that we can be with you, that we can hear from you, that we can trust you. And we ask you to be with us during this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first work of the whole church is to take the gospel to the world. That's priority number one. The first work of the whole church is to take the gospel to the world. So in a little over six weeks, there's going to be a bunch of people coming to this campus. Because we've got an event called Mission Connection Southwest that's happening right here. We're going to take over the whole campus, and it's going to be all about reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus. So I'm inviting you guys to take part of this. You're going to start seeing this in front of your faces and all our emails, all our communication with you. Uh, Mission Connection Southwest on November 3rd and 4th. So we have some awesome speakers lined up, a guy named Nathan Jim, a guy named Francis Chan, a guy named Adrian Reeves, a guy named Al Fadi. All these guys are legends, um, and I'm I'm excited to invite them here to this space. Uh, Francis Chan will be speaking to us by tele, I don't know what you call that, they'll be be, uh, live streamed in. Um, But this event is free, but space is limited. All the seats that you see here is all that we can fit. Um, in the network hosting this event are more than a hundred thousand people. Okay, so. 1,300-ish that will fit into this auditorium. That's 1%. So if you want to take part, I'm inviting you to sign up. Um, If you don't make it in the sign-up, you can volunteer to serve. So please do that. As part of this uh, Grace Kids and the outreach here at at Grace, we're offering a kids program. This is not childcare. This is an opportunity for kids K through 5 to be able to hear about what God is doing in the world. So, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of program that's coming, help them to be able to understand God's mission on the earth. So, in these days, there's a lot of talk about Jesus' second coming. I get it. These times are difficult. There's a lot of uh, tragedy and warfare on the earth. There's, you know, culture wars in our own country. You know, there's a lot of talk about. I hear people say, oh, I think Jesus is coming back. I think Jesus is coming back. Sorry, it's going to choke me up. That's rich. Because 40% of the world has not heard about his first coming. There's still 40%. So please, church, take part in Mission Connection Southwest. It's my hope that you will have new vision invested in your life. Church, the work is not done yet. 40% still have yet to hear the gospel. So Mission Connection Southwest, take part. November 3rd and 4th. So, looking at the miracles that we've covered so far in uh, the book of John, we have Jesus turning water to wine. We have the healing of the official son that was done from a distance, got the healing of the invalid and the feeding of the 5,000. And then last week, Des talked about um, Jesus walking on water. Between the walking on water, which takes place in chapter 6, I believe, of John, and our next miracle takes place in chapter 9. So in between, there's this huge increase in intensity and tension in the Bible. In between, uh, so we kind of need to set set the stage a little bit. What's going on right now in Jesus' life? What is happening in the Roman province of Judea? Why are people trying to kill Jesus? If you remember, Jesus fled from the crowds after he uh, fed the 5,000 because they said that they were going to, it says that he was, they were going to seize him and by force make him king. So Jesus takes off. And in every place throughout Judea, people are talking about Jesus and asking the question, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Some were saying that he's a good man. Others accused him of having a demon. I mean, chew on that for a minute. You've got a demon. Others said that Jesus was leading people astray, and the people were divided. On one hand, Jesus' teaching absolutely captivated the crowds. He was performing miracles. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. And on the other hand, Jesus continued to offend the human traditions that the Jewish people had placed around the Torah. The Torah is the law. As given to Moses. What had begun as human tradition was now practiced as law, so the religious leaders continued to be baffled. Jesus was obviously a sinner, but what sinner can perform the signs and miracles that he was doing? Additionally, when Jesus was, when he was questioned or when he was teaching, Jesus was making these huge claims about himself and about who, he's, who he was. You can study the book of John kind of like we're doing by looking at it from miracle to miracle to miracle. But another way is to look at the I am statements that Jesus is making. Things like, I am the way and the truth and the life, which is, comes in chapter 10. Um, or you know, he says, uh, you know, some of these come in these chapters that happened in between the last miracle and this one. Following the feeding of the 5,000, when he's talking to the crowds, he's explaining the miracle and the meaning of it to them. And he says, It is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. It's a big statement. And the people are listening They say, Sir, give us this bread always. (laughs) And Jesus' next statement to them says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. That's John 6.35. That's a pretty bold statement. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. You know, in the passage just before this, they were talking about the manna that was given to the, to the Jewish people as they wandered in exile. And every morning they'd wake up, there'd be a manna there for them to eat. And and Jesus is basically comparing himself to this manna that the Jews ate while wandering in the wilderness. In fact, he says that he's better than that manna. Jesus is touching on the core of the identity of Jewish people. He's identifying himself as true fulfillment, as the bread of life. So later on, uh, in these passages between these two miracles, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. This is a Jewish feast that's uh, there, um, and you know it says that Jesus went up in secret. Um, people are looking for him to come because every Jewish male is supposed to come to the feast. The people are gossiping. They're talking about him. They're whispering together about who he might be. They're not talking openly because they're fearful of the Jews. So Jesus has arrived in secret in Jerusalem. And then suddenly he appears in the temple and he's teaching openly. And the people that are there present listening to him are, are, are hearing him and they're saying to, to them, Isn't this the one who they're seeking to kill? He is speaking openly, and they're saying nothing to him. When the Messiah comes, will he do greater signs than this man does? He has to be the Messiah, is what some of them are concluding. And the chief priests and the Pharisees who hear this, who heard the crowd... They go and they take the temple police. Now, I have said earlier that, that Judea is a Roman province, so it's ruled by Rome. But in order to keep the peace, there's certain things that are delegated to the Jews to control. One of those things is the temple, so they have their own police there to be able to do that. So they take the temple police, and they send them to arrest Jesus. For what's being spoken about him. And a little bit later they come back. And they come back empty handed. And they say what are you here? And they said never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. And the Jews are like not you too. The question of who is Jesus was on every lip. From the normal folks to the religiously educated. And the politically powerful. So why all the fuss from the Pharisees? Why are the religious leaders so angry? What has Jesus done to offend to the point that they're trying to kill him. Aren't they overreacting? And the issue comes from the third and fourth commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And we need to spend a little bit of time there. So the commandments in your Bible, you'll find them listed in Exodus chapter 20. And it's where it's described there. And the first four commandments relate to our relationship with God, how we interact with God. The last six commandments are in regard to our relationships with other people. And commandment number three is, do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Um, The NIV says, do not misuse the name of the Lord. Number four is one of the longer passages in the, in the commandments. It's remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it, and we're supposed to rest in that, to lay aside all our work, not only us, but our households, anyone who works for us, also our livestock. Um, that is commanded in there. So the command was to rest from our labor. And there's a an incredible mystery in that God, you know, rested on the seventh day after creating the world in six. I can't say that I really understand it. Um, the mystery is that God rested. But both of these commandments bring up obvious question. What counts as using the Lord's name in vain? So if there's in vain, is there a valid reason for using the Lord's name? Also, what constitutes work that we are to avoid on the Sabbath? Not quite sure how to define rest, so let's define work. There's a lot of gray area. And a well-known practice and well-known saying among the Jews to this day is to say we build a fence around the Torah. So a commandment is given. We're going to build a fence to protect that commandment. In order to not go astray and sin unknowingly, Jewish people took the original command and built that fence around that. That included things that might be work or might be taking the Lord's name in vain. So the command to not use the Lord's name in vain implies that there's a good usage of his name, a correct way. But in order not to transgress the law, they decided that they would never use the name Yahweh again. They adopted the use of the word Adonai when, it, when doing like prayer or in religious rites, Adonai, which means my Lord. But when referencing God in normal conversation, they might say he's the Almighty, or they'll say Hashem, and Hashem means literally the name. Um, So they took the original command and they built a fence around it. They built a fence around the Torah. Now, before you judge them too harshly, how many of you moms and dads have told your kids not to cross the street? Now, you didn't mean forever. Never again cross the street, right? Until you learn when it is safe to cross the street, maybe it's best that you not do so now. So what seems like a strict rule, maybe unreasonable in some cases, might be motivated by love and care. And all the helicopter moms and dads said, amen. (laughs) To further illustrate this idea, I want to remind you of what it looked like to walk with the Lord in Moses' time. When the Torah was being handed down to the Jewish people. So this incident came following the giving of the commandment. The commandments to Moses and to the people. So in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36, you'll see a reference. And they're going to be on the screen. Uh, It's quite a long passage. Well, it's not too long this time. Um, But they're going to only reference some of the text there. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not yet been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death and all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And that's what they did. Now, some of you in here might find that passage pretty difficult. I don't love it. Um, But we're not alone. Many of the people who were present didn't like it. In the next chapter, chapter 16, some of the people came to Moses and said, you've gone far enough. (laughs) You've gone too far is another way to put that. And they challenged Moses' leadership, basically saying, who died and made you king. And by the way, Moses, you didn't lead us to a land of milk and honey. You took us out of a land of milk and honey. And here we are in the wilderness, and we've got no inheritance here. So Moses calls, calls for some of them to come to him, and, uh, and they're like, we're not coming. What are you going to do next, put their eyes out? says that in the text. Read chapter 16 of Numbers. So there was a showdown coming to show just whom God had chosen to lead the people. And Moses called the people together, separated out those ones who were challenging his authority, and said, hey, you guys light the incense in your censers, go over there and worship And he separated them out from the people. These people, these Levites, were set aside to serve God. So they're kind of the chosen of the group. He told them, light up their incense, offer it to God. It's like they were having church. Okay? So in Numbers 16, 28 through 34, I'll read this section for you. And this is Moses talking to the people. He says, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds. For this is not my doing. If these men... Should die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. What he means is if they should die of natural causes. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. And as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them was split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, they and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah, who was the leader of those people, and with with their possessions. So they went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, the earth may swallow us up too. So that's what it was like to follow God during this time we can have a little grace if they felt like they needed to build a fence around the place that swallowed up the folks at that time. So they built a fence around the commandment to remember and keep the Sabbath day holy. So they define, and to this day it's defined this way, there are 39 categories of work according to the religious teachers. Among them are obvious things like buying and selling and cooking and traveling, but also included are prohibitions against shearing slaughtering, smoothing, washing, and kneading. So that's just a few I've listed for you. I think that's nine. There's 30 more. By Jesus' times, these things have been very specifically defined. You couldn't comb your hair because because doing so, you might inadvertently pull out a few hairs and violate the commandment against shearing. So y'all that came all pretty to church, you know, i don't to pray about that one. Um, actually, a soft brush is okay. It says that. No combs. You can't swat a fly or a mosquito because if you killed it, you would violate the law against slaughtering. Any living thing on the Sabbath. Which incidentally, later on in the book of John, you read at the crucifixion scene, the Pharisees go and petition Pilate and say, can we just break their legs so that they die faster? Talking about those who were crucified on the cross. Should we break their legs so that they die before the Sabbath happens? That's incidentally because they didn't want to break the law against slaughtering. Um, So, you can't apply oil or lotion or ointment to any skin on the Sabbath, including your skin or someone else's skin, or you'll be guilty of the sin of smoothing. So, you can't do that. Don't polish your shoes on the Sabbath. You cannot wash a garment or even your face, or you break the law against washing. You cannot spit on the ground, because if you spit on the ground, you might actually make mud. And by making mud or clay, you're actually violating the law against kneading. Kneading, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, not N-E-E-D-I-N-G. Against kneading, like kneading dough. So if you need to spit on the Sabbath, make sure you spit on a stone just to be safe. That way you won't. Y'all are laughing. That's like literal. <laughs> <It's> literal. <laughs> the whole point of the command was to rest and enter into the rest of God and to remember that he rested and to keep this day holy and set aside. When you start talking that way, it starts to seem like a lot of work, doesn't it? All the rules to follow. So let's return back to the book of John. Today we're talking about the healing of the man born blind. Again, there's no name attached to the person. Like other miracles in the book of John, there's no name attached to the person or the individual. We just don't know who he is. So in John 9, verses 1 through 12, now we're going to actually end up reading the whole chapter almost. Um, It's a long chapter. And when you get up here to preach, you're supposed to edit. But I really struggled with knocking this down. Uh, so there's a couple of areas I'm going to paraphrase. But in John chapter 9, starting with verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And the question asked by the disciples is one of the fundamental questions of life. All of us, when we are faced with tragedy of death or sickness, financial ruin or trauma in our life, we veer off and get lost in the neighborhood of grief. And in that neighborhood is sadness, anger, blame. So who sinned? Why? Why is this man blind? You know, you might ask yourself, why? Why me? Who is to blame for this? Continuing on with the passage. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the, work, the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who, who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Another bold statement, I am statement. So when he had said this, Jesus spat on the ground made clay out of his saliva and applied the clay to this man's eyes and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away, washed, and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others are saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. The guy's like, I'm the one. What a legend. Did you catch that with Jesus? In the midst of all these questions where, Jesus is, where the people are asking, who is this man? Some are like, he's good. Some are saying he's the Messiah. Others are like, no, he's leading him astray. Others are saying he's got a demon. Right in the midst of this, regarding these questions where he he is, Jesus sees this man blind from birth and tells his disciples to hold his coat. Jesus spat in the dirt, and then he knelt down, and he made clay with his hands. He spread the clay on the eyes of the blind man and tells him to wash. All of this occurs on the Sabbath. It's interesting that John is so specific here regarding Jesus' actions. You know, earlier we had a man, the second guy, who, who you know, the, the official comes and says, Hey, my my servant is sick. Jesus, would you come in and heal him? And Jesus basically from a distance says, You know, your servant is well. They do the, the math, and they find out that they had that he had been healed at that very hour. So Jesus wasn't even there when that sick man was healed. So why is Jesus being so deliberate here in his actions? He spits. He needs the clay. You know, last week, Des referenced Genesis chapter 1 when talking about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And we have Jesus coming out on the Sea of Galilee, walking on these waters. And how reminiscent that was. Who is Jesus? What a declaration of his identity. Again, I want to reference Genesis, but this time in chapter 2. So you'll see in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God formed man out of the dust or dirt of the earth and breathed life in him. Here's a picture of Jesus bending down and forming out of clay, something that he then applies to this man's life and gives him life. What an image. So there's more. After he had made clay, and he spreads it on the man's eyes. You know that verb to spread in Hebrew is mashach. It gets Romanized to masa. Indeed, in Arabic, another Semitic language that I speak, it is masa today. It gets translated in a few ways to wipe, as in to wipe something clean, and also to spread or through apply through spreading. You know, you masa peanut butter. Your bread. Um, But as Jesus does here, it also means to anoint. In fact, the word is the same word from which we get the word Messiah, Romanized into English as Messiah from Masach or Anointed One. I think Jesus, in the midst of all the questions being asked about him, is communicating very clearly and very deliberately. He spits, he needs, he applies to this man. Everyone around him, you know, Jesus is not just the wisest person, but he's also the smartest person who's ever walked this earth. He's very clearly communicating to the people around him who he is. I am Lord God. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. Jesus is demonstrating by word and action who he is. He's the Messiah. Moving on, um, I think we're skipping a couple verses here. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 9. uh, We're going to go through 17. Um, Now, it was a Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others were saying, Can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he's like, He's a prophet. It's really clear to me. (laughs) He's a prophet. And so they were not sure. They, they actually questioned whether or not Jesus were, or whether or not this man was actually blind from birth. So they didn't believe it. So they went and they got his parents and brought him before the court. And the, his parents were scared uh, because the Jews had already determined that they were going to put out of the synagogue, which was not just, you know, uh, like kicking you out of the church. It was kicking you out of the community. You were being exiled. So they had already determined that they were going to do this to anyone who confessed, uh, who confessed that Jesus was the Christ. So they question his parents, and parents are, like, backing away. Like, no, he's of age. You go ask him. Chickens. <clears throat> Marty McFly moment there. Um, moving on. John chapter 9. We'll, we'll read on from that. We're skipping that section with his parents, but you can go back and read it. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now that phrase, give glory to God, is really interesting. You know, they start that off. Actually, that's just half of the phrase. They're referencing another portion in Scripture, which you'll find in the book of Joshua. There's another time where there was uh, uh, there was sin in the camp. It's the the passage regarding Achan. You can go read it. I don't remember what chapter it is. I think 7 of joshua and uh, but the the rest of the phrase is give glory to god and confess your sin so that's actually what they're referencing and that would have been known to them um and so he said let me find my spot here uh, give glory to god we know that this man is a sinner then the man answered whether he's a sinner i do not know one thing i do know that though i was blind i now i see So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did you open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too, do you? Which, you know, they love that. Uh, They reviled him as the next portion and said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to him, "Well, here's an amazing thing. Lots of sarcasm dripping through this passage. Here's an. I probably didn't help his cause. Uh, uh, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing." And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? And so they put him out of the synagogue. Now, it's real interesting that those Pharisees go right back to square one. What was the question the disciples asked of Jesus? Who sinned that this man is born blind? And the Pharisees from that same worldview said, you were born entirely in sin. Whether it was you or your parents, someone sinned. And so they put him out of the synagogue. Right back to square one. And this meant, like I said earlier, being kicked out of the synagogue. It was out of the community of of Jewish people, out of being Jewish. He was functionally exiled. Now, of all the miracles that we've looked at in John... This one is unique in a few ways. You know, in the feeding of the 5,000 blessed so many people. You just had to be in the crowd to receive the blessing. Just be present. You got to eat the miracle bread and the miracle fish. Jesus walking on water just straight up terrified the disciples. I get that. It freaked them out. But here is Jesus blessing one individual So personally and so completely, he is demonstrating his care for each person. It's also unique that this is one of the first times recorded that a follower of Jesus who was blessed with a miracle was also blessed to suffer for his name. He was ostracized from his people. Even his family Distance himself from him. After he was put out, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. You have both seen him, this man who a few hours earlier couldn't see. Woke up that morning, blind as he ever was, is now looking at Jesus. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. It's also unique, and this is one of the earliest records we have of Jesus receiving worship. Last night I was a little nervous. And, you know, it's always a little nervy to get up and talk to a bunch of people, especially uh, presuming to speak in the name of the Lord. And my wife said, Why did you say yes? (laughs) No, it's helpful. The reason I said yes is because I love Him, I love the picture of who He is that we get in the ninth chapter of John as he heals someone so personally and then receives worship from him. You know, in the section we skip between the last miracle of walking on water and this one, Jesus also said something very interesting. He told the people following him that if they wanted to know if his teaching were true, they must first choose to do the will of God Now, I know in this room, there are some of you that have been walking with Jesus for years. And there's others in here who aren't even sure why they're coming to church. Um, Something's pulling on you. You want to find something that's true. I want to challenge you this morning that in order to receive revelation from the Lord, determine in your heart. To do the will of God as He reveals it to you. Make your yes to Him a yes before you're even certain. If you want to hear from God in your life, you must first determine to do His will. Shall I pray? Thank you, Jesus, for for coming to this earth, for being with us, for walking with us. Um, Lord, thank you for sending your Spirit. Thank you for going away so that we can have the Spirit walking with us each day. Lord, we do look to you. We worship you. And we wait for your second coming. But in the meantime, Lord, we have determined to do your will on this earth. I ask that you bless the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Now you see why I wasn't gonna take notes and deliver that. There is a step now. The step isn't. Good talk, Jonathan. Good information. Liked it. Useful. Didn't know that. Boo. You heard some things today. And I'm gonna declare as well, you saw some things today. That blind man has seen him, Jesus, and heard him. Seen and heard. And as Jonathan said, I'm gonna make this real simple. In a moment, I'm gonna invite our prayer partners down front, leaders, to be available. And it's just like that man, everything changed. And it wasn't like he understood it all. Some of you, that's your barrier. I have to understand it all. He just received it and people were throwing questions at him. He goes, ah, I don't know. Come for prayer that you may see Jesus afresh today and hear him afresh today. In addition to that, some of you Experience what that man did as well, which was he receives sight from Jesus and he loses family. He experiences an earthly loss for following Jesus. That's not the American gospel, is it? Come to Jesus, everything just is the best. There's a reality. If any man should come after me, he should deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But we want to sit with you in that. And some of you right now, in choosing to follow Jesus, are experiencing some difficulty, some pain, some struggle. In whatever area that is, we're here for you today. Come down front and receive prayer for that. Jesus knows. And he wants to sit with you in it. So just to be clear, Jesus declares, as Jonathan brilliantly declared, don't you and go build fences around the heart of God, which is his rest? Jesus comes and breaks the fences down. He makes the clay. I heard it in the room. Did you hear it? When Jonathan's talking all laws of Sabbath and kneading and mud, and you went, (gasps) oh. What? Yes. Jesus will break the laws of man to get to you. And some of you may have grown up around church and there's a ton of stuff around church and there's rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and for the majority, they're just man-made cultural applications. Ask the Lord, to help you to see Him today and to hear Him today in every way, in every way. So I'm gonna invite now with our prayer partners, leaders, make themselves available, come down front. I'm gonna pray the team will come out and lead us. In a song that is the gospel, it is the gospel. It is the good news in song. It's the story of Jesus, but it's all about him being king. He's king. Surrender to that. Surrender to that today. And it's just a reminder, New Year Coffee is available today for anybody who's never been to that. Would you all stand? Let me lead us in prayer for this today. Jonathan was preaching. Just in my heart, I had this longing. Oh Lord, that I may see you fully and that I may hear you clearly. Whatever the cost. Oh Lord, that I may See you clearly and hear you fully, whatever the cost. Let's pray. King Jesus, we give everything and everyone to you. We give everything and everyone to you, Jesus. And Lord, from the very beginning, you have longed to be with us and revealing yourself to us. So we ask this, Lord, just as you did for the man born blind, may we today see you more clearly, hear you more fully, whatever the cost. Lord, for my friends in this room, may we not settle for where we are. May we come down for prayer. We believe in the power of prayer in communing with you, Lord. May we come for prayer that we may see you more clearly and hear you more fully in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Men, see you Tuesday at six. New here, coffee next door. Next week, we close out the series with my favorite because a dead man comes to life
1: again. And that could be you.